0: Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the word of God to dwell in you richly. Isn't our God worthy to be praised? our god who sits high in the heavens and looks low he is worthy to be adored for his name is exalted amen amen do me a favor y'all can be seated real quick i know we normally read first but i'm gonna have you guys sit down for for just a quick second and then we'll stand and read together in a moment um as we get ready to uh, jump into this sermon and continue on with our deconstruction series, uh, before we jump in, I just wanna show a, a, a brief video clip um, from Buster Rhymes having a conversation about what it was like as he was navigating the death of his friend, Chris Lighty. And he makes a statement that I think on some level, even the world acknowledges it's, it's the it's the type of statement. That's a Proverbs chapter one, verse 20 it, the even the, the the wisdom of cries out in the streets. And so I, I want us to watch this clip real quick and then we'll jump into our text. Amen. Amen. So.
1: I then I lose my father, too while I made this album. I lose Chris Laddie and I lose my daddy making this album. Niggas wanna know why I took so long to put out an album. I was going through all kinds of I had to lose weight. I had to find refuge. And people that didn't mean as much to me as Chris and my father. And I started to walk around with this smile like I was doing well. That's a hard thing to do. And I ain't looking for no sympathy. I just want to share. Because I want to know. Pain that you go through too. You can look at me and see your pain in me. Cause ain't none of us exempt from
0: suffering. Ain't none of us exempt from suffering. Would you stand with me to open your Bibles to John the 11th chapter? John the 11th chapter. And I know normally we read this together, but, but I want to read it for your hearing, if you can bear with me. I'm going to read it for us this morning. Y'all all right with that? Yeah. Amen. Amen. This is John chapter 11. We're going to begin verse 1 and read down through verse 21. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews were trying to stone you and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in a day, Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. And he said this and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, wasn't speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Let's go to him. Then Thomas, also called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too, so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb already for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if. You had been here. My brother wouldn't have died. I just want to tag our text this morning. The danger of deconstructing through your pain. The danger of deconstructing through your pain. Let's pray. God, what are we supposed to do with our suffering? What do, we, what do we do when it feels like life has just pressed us down? And hemmed us in on every side. What do we do when it feels like you're not there? What do we do? God, I'm thankful for passages like this. Because you give us some insight into where exactly you are and what you're doing at times that can give us comfort, that can give us hope, and that can give us the courage to believe when our emotions don't want to follow suit. Father, would you be with us today? Be with those who are hurting deeply, who haven't yet healed from the scars of their pain, who are wrestling with you and wrestling with the faith even now because they can't reconcile your goodness and what they've gone through. I thank you, oh God. We thank you that you are not absent. But you're here. So be with us. Meet us in your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, if you agree with that, say amen. Amen Amen. and amen. Go ahead and take your seats. The danger of deconstructing through your pain. I, I, I know that, that even if you don't have the type of suffering story that you would ideally consider traumatic, it's pretty universal that we can all agree that suffering is everywhere, yeah. that suffering is unavoidable, and that at times it's overwhelming and even suffocating. And for some, it breeds an invitation to not only call into question God's character, but also, if we're honest, his existence as well. And some of you have left or are moving away, even now, from the faith, but you can't because you can't reconcile what you've gone through with who you want God to be. And, and, and the way that we process our painful experiences or or even at times the experience of others moves us from questions that begin with why? Why, God, did you let this happen? If God loved me, then why is he letting me go through this? If God had the power to stop this, then why didn't he? Why? Why? How can a good God take someone so young from us so quickly? It moves us from questions like that to eventually making statements like, because suffering exists, I don't believe God can. Or we begin to internalize that if the Christian God allows suffering, then I'll have to find a different religious ideology that better suits me. And so the problem of, and the topic of the problem of evil and the existence of God has been highly debated. and critically thought through over the last few centuries back to the enlightenment when the man began to believe that the world could be fully understood through reason at which point there was no longer a need for God and the argument that was often made was a truly good God would not want evil to exist have y'all heard that before and an all-powerful God would not allow evil to exist but evil exists therefore a God who is both all good and all powerful cannot exist. That, that was the argument then, and in a lot of ways, it's some of the argument that we hear today. However, one of the good things is that over the years, believers have been so effective in arguing or counter-arguing this myth that, that in the academic and professional world, this argumentation is not even considered compelling anymore. Not even considered valid Here's the rub, though. For a lot of people, the response to suffering and evil and pain and hardship is rooted not in the philosophical, but in the visceral. In in the heart, in the seat of your emotions. And so when people come to the church looking for hope, looking for answers, looking for an explanation of of why they're going through what they go through, and they're met with uh, statements like, well, don't question God, baby. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God said it was just their time to go. They're in a better place. You know, know, some of those things might very well be true. And generally, what people are trying to do is just find something to say to bring somebody comfort, but it misunderstands their questions. Because too often we're answering head questions and they're asking heart questions. What makes conversations about suffering and pain so difficult is that we don't always have the answers to why. You know, suffering is more manageable when, when we have somewhere to direct the blame. When, when we can identify a reason for why something happened, we can at least wrap our minds around it. But what do we do with suffering when there is no one to blame? And even worse, when God doesn't give a reason for it. First, First and only point, and I'm out your way. When you don't know where God is in your sorrow, then pain becomes the genesis for your deconstruction. I'll read it again. When you don't know where God is in your sorrow, your pain then becomes the genesis of your deconstruction. That may be you. And one of the reasons you're slowly moving away from the faith is because you're hurting and you believe God to be the cause. But one of the things that I love about God is that He's not afraid of our questions. And, and he doesn't run from them. And not only does he not run from them, but he meets us right there in the middle of our pain. Look, look with me at John chapter 11. Jesus gets this message that his friend, Lazarus, is sick. Now, you got to understand the relationship. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they like Jesus's, some of Jesus' day ones. Right. And so when when Jesus wants some recreation time, when he wants some comfort, when he's tired of dealing with the messiness of people, guess where he goes? He goes to hang out with his fam, which is in Bethany, Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And and so they send him a message that Lazarus, the one that he loves, is sick. Somehow they knew where he was which shows you the level of intimate relationship that they had with him, that they would know with all the traveling that Jesus did, they knew where they could find him to send him a message. And so they, they send him this message and, and you can tell because they sent Jesus the message, letting him know that Lazarus was sick, that there is something implied there. The implication is that there's an expectation for Jesus to come and do something about it. And, and, and so, you know, Uh, We're we're not absent of that today. If if we need something, don't we go to somebody that we think can do something about it? And and, and so so in their minds, they're like, all we have to do is get to Jesus and he can get this under control. All we got to do is tell Jesus about it. And because we know he loves us, we know he's going to want to come and do something about it. And so they, they... they, they find him. And you know what's funny, funny about this is because they're close with Jesus, I'm sure that they've sat around and talked with Jesus or heard some of the great, through the grapevine, talking about how Jesus has healed other people. You remember the centurion servant who was sick? What did the centurion say? He said, listen, like, like, I, I, I don't know. I passed the man again. he's getting he excited. Go ahead and jump out your seat, doc. He, he, go ahead. You want to preach it for me? Come on, sir. He. Listen, the, the, centurions, the centurion said to Jesus, he said, he said, I'm not worthy for you to come underneath my roof. But what does he say? Said? He, said, he said, I'm a man of authority. So I don't need to be somewhere for my authority to travel. And so, and so, so what does he say? He said, all you got to do is say that he's going to be healed. And I know he'll be healed. And so, so you can imagine... That if that that for the if Jesus could just say it for a stranger, if Jesus could just let his authoritative word travel across the region into the room of somebody he didn't know. What would Jesus do if somebody he loved needed him to show up? So this this is this is on this is on this is on their mind. Cause they, they know who Jesus is. And so, and so it's, but it, but it's, but it's interesting, right? We, we, you know, we, we get down to, to, to verse four and it says when, when Jesus heard it, the sickness will not end in death, but it is for the, the glory of God. So the, the son of God may be glorified. And then verse five simply says, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister and Lazarus. Now, why would the Bible feel the need to state that Jesus loved them? Because what happens next will make you question whether or not that's true. And so when we get to verse 6, what does it say? It says, so knowing that his loved one is sick, he stays where he's at two more days. Huh? Jesus, Um, you know, I know we can't command you to come, but you don't sense the urgency of our message? You know what's interesting? We only believe God is an on-time God when he's on our time. He said, he said, he said, I'm going to stay two extra days because there's an urgency in their situation that doesn't align with his agenda. And when our urgency doesn't align with his agenda, then oftentimes we find ourselves disappointed. That's when we get into trouble when we try to cut corners, when we get impatient with God. I mean, I know y'all know that from your own personal experience. If you wanted Bible, I could point you to Abraham. God promised them a seed. Said he's gonna come from your own lawns. I know your wife a little old, but I can work around that. Cause what's impossible for man, ain't impossible for God. But you saw what happened when they wanted to shortcut God's process. Created an entire nation of people that are wild and rebellious. Because they couldn't just wait on God. And so so Jesus, he, 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 he waits where he's at for two days and then decides that he's going to go back to Judea. And the reason, if you're noticing in these next few verses, the reason why his disciples are questioning why he wants to go back to Judea and, 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 and why they don't really want to go with him. It's because in, in John chapter 10, they had just got finished ready trying to stone him because he said he was equal to God. And so he left. Bible says he dipped out and got away from him and went to somewhere else. But now he's going back to where they just, so that's why they say to him, why are you going back to Judea? We, they, they just tried to stone you. So they know that because they're with Jesus, they're vulnerable. Some of y'all ain't figured that out in your walk with the Lord. Sometimes standing too close to Jesus makes you vulnerable. Somebody better ask Job something. But they, they knew that their, if Jesus' life was threatened, that their life was threatened too. So they're like, we, we don't know about that. But that's why, that's why Thomas later on down uh, in, uh, I just flipped my wrong page. That's why Thomas in verse 16, he says, well, let's go die too. Because they thought he, he thought he was ready to go with Jesus and go die and get stoned. Now, granted, you know, Jesus was trying to get them to understand they wasn't in no trouble because they were on his agenda, right? But at least Thomas was ready to, you know what I'm saying? At least he was, sometimes you need somebody crazy in your group that you know is ready to, you know what I'm saying, lay it down if it need to be laid down, right? You know, I give him some credit here. I mean, later on, they all left him by himself in the garden, but at least here he was ready. And so the disciples as they as they're talking with Jesus, Jesus mentions to them, he says, he says, we got to go to Lazarus because he's fallen asleep. But we got to wake him up. And they misunderstand Jesus about the fact that Lazarus is not naturally asleep, but has died. But but here's the beautiful thing with Jesus. And it's something that points back to what he said in verse four is that death For Jesus does not offer the same finality as it does to us. See, they were concerned because they heard that Lazarus died and they thought that that's all that there was. But they were about to see something that would completely rock their world. And so, and so the, the Bible says that, that Jesus, he arrives in Bethany, verse 17, and, and he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb uh, for four days. Now, there, there's some that believe that there was a Jewish custom uh, that, that held to this idea that the soul hovered above the body for three days, hoping to re-enter it. But once decomposition set in, the soul would depart. Now, there's no uh, consensus on whether that was actually a a, a true Jewish customarily held belief. However, what we can assert is that the author here is trying to let us know that Lazarus was dead, dead. (laughs) Now, practically, it wouldn't have mattered had he been dead for one day, two days, eight days or two hours. But we know that he's dead. And he's not alive. And so Jesus arrives there in Bethany. And Martha, one of his inner circle crew, heard that Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. And Martha's response to Jesus when she first sees him is Jesus. If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. What she's asking at its core is Jesus, where were you? Where, 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 where were you? Because I know you love me. And I know you love Mary, and I know you love Lazarus. So where were you? You know, we can understand people getting hurt or sick if they engage in risky behavior or sinful behavior. But we struggle with understanding random things happening to people who are innocent. Why weren't you here, Jesus? I never ask you for anything. And the one time I need you, like really need you, you ain't there. How come you couldn't heal the royal official son just like you? How come you could heal them and not heal Lazarus? I know I'm talking Greco-Roman first century Bible language stuff, but let me bring this into your driveway. Where were you, God, when I kept having these miscarriages? Where were you while I was being molested by someone at the church only for it to get covered up and me be shunned into silence? Where were you when that stray bullet hit my cousin who was just walking down the street minding his own business? Where were you when the white man beat us and raped us and broke up our families? If you were truly the God of Africans, you wouldn't have let that happen. Where were you? See, we ask these questions because there's an expectation that God can and should stop what's about to happen. That is if we believe He's good. if He's good, why would He allow these things to happen? But let me say this: It's OK to ask God questions. You know, that's one of the beautiful things I, I love about the Bible is that throughout Scripture you see people going and do difficult, difficult things and wrestling with God through their questions through their lack of understanding but but i love something that c.s lewis says he says as much as it's good to interact and wrestle with god through our questioning it's critically important to examine the assumptions within a question you see the danger of deconstructing in your pain is that we're often blind to the assumptions that we've made about god's character. The assumption often built into our rejection is that from our perspective, from your perspective, God doesn't have a good reason for allowing suffering. It assumes that we know more and know better. But 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 here's the response that somebody could give to you. Unless God in his infinite wisdom has a good reason for allowing suffering to happen. Now, you might not agree with that, but here's what you got to contend with. There are plenty of scenarios, even in the human experience, where pain is allowed for one's future benefit. I I got four kids. And the last time I checked, the Bible says, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. Now, my my kids don't get it often, but they all know there's there's one thing that they know they are gonna get it for, if they lie. I I can work around some other stuff, but lying for me is a point of contention. You always gonna get it for lying. Now, do it hurt when they getting it? Absolutely. But guess what that's helping them develop? A system of honesty for the future. Okay, you don't gotta agree with that one. What happens if you get injured and your bone don't set properly? What does the doctor have to do? He's got to re-break the bone so that it can be reset so that it can heal properly. That means that there are times where you need to be broken in order to heal. Y'all not with me. We have rehab centers in this country, in this city. Do you think that it is comfortable going through withdrawal? Have you ever heard stories about what it's like for somebody who is trying to wean themselves off of drugs? By just being thrown somewhere so they don't have access to it. And yet, they have to go through that difficulty to help them try to become clean. Come on, y'all not with me. Listen, we have an entire motto that exists that says, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. There is somewhat of an acknowledgement, like Buster Rhyme said, that nobody's exempt from suffering and suffering is not always bad for you. Isaiah chapter fifty five verse says, says for God, God says this. He says, he says, for my thoughts aren't your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. You can even take a lesson from Jesus's own personal ministry. He didn't always help everybody. Did you know that? He would stop healing people and leave. There were places he purposely didn't go to to preach. He often talked in riddled parables so that some wouldn't understand his message. Jesus, the son of God in the flesh, walked on this earth for 33 years and people were still hungry, hurting and dying all around him. Jesus regularly let people down. What do you do with that? You know, as a side note, I think one of the things that's, that's always interesting to me is that it's, for some reason, it seems like other religious systems don't get pressed on this issue like Christianity does. Like no, no other religious system gets pressed about what they do with the problem of suffering and evil. You know, I hear so much about Christianity's, the white man's religion and, and all that stuff and how you know people now go off and start worshiping and praying to their ancestors. Your ancestors couldn't help you before y'all got on the boat? Where, where was they at? (laughs) Listen, listen. You, you, you aren't alone in your questioning. You're you're not alone in your pain and wrestling with God. Look what the psalmist writes. He says, Lord, how long? Turn Lord and rescue me, I'm weary from my groaning. With my tears, I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night, my eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies. Says how long O oh Lord will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long Lord must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? You're not alone in your questioning. God gives room for it, but He also gives an answer. But but you know, one of the things one of the things that I love about Mary's response, Martha's response in verse twenty two, is look, look, it's her her response shows that her pain doesn't block her resilience in believing who Jesus is. Look look at look what it, look what it says. Jesus said, uh, or, or, or she said, she said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died yet even now i know that whatever you ask from god god will give you now now martha doesn't indicate that she knows what's going to happen next she doesn't have any special insight past the moment in which she currently lives but all she knows is that jesus has the type of relationship with the father that no matter what Jesus asked for the father will give him it shows the trust and confidence that she has in him that despite her brother dying has not left and Jesus says Jesus says he says Martha he said your brother will rise again she's like i i know i know I know he'll rise in the last days. I know, I know he'll rise in a future. Right? She knew there was a future hope coming. You know, sometimes we, we push people's pain to, to wait on a future hope. And, and she was unaware that Jesus had something for her right now. He says to her, he says, he says, he says, You know, I I know that's true, but that's not what I'm talking about. I am the resurrection and and, and the life. Jesus is saying, I don't just provide resurrection and life. Even though if he only did that, that would be great. He is the resurrection and life. See, Martha and Mary thought that death had the final say. Like if you would have got here in time only when he was sick, then you could have healed him. But Jesus was up to something far greater than either of their feeble minds could could think about. But but even even before he raises Lazarus, which he does later on in the chapter, look at Martha's response in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the son of God who comes into the world. See, Martha didn't allow her pain to change who she knew God to be. See, her her circumstance, her situation didn't change God. Because she knew that God was unchanging. She knew that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. She knew that God could do something about it, but even though he didn't, didn't mean that he couldn't. It's it's like the three Hebrew boys before they went into the fiery furnace. They said, our God can save us. But even if he chooses not to, we're still going to worship him. We're still going to lift up his name. We're still going to rejoice in his goodness because he doesn't have to save us, even though we're hoping he will. See, some some of us give up on God too easily because we think we know better. We think if we can just move God out the way that that will solve all of life's problems of pain and and suffering will just disappear. I may not know why he's allowed me to go through some things I've gone through, and I may not know how long the pain is going to last, but here are some things that I do know. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou with me the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit no good thing will he withhold from those who love him even youths shall faint and be weary and young men will stumble and fall but they that wait upon the Lord shall have their strength renewed consider it all joy my brothers and sisters whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full work so that you may be mature and complete lacking nothing i know that all things work together for good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose i may not know how long this is going to last, but I know that he's with me, and I know that it's not purposeless. You know, it's, it's interesting where we find Jesus after this conversation with Martha and after he converses a little bit with Mary. The Bible says that he was deeply moved. It, it actually could be translated he was angry to the point of shaking. And what did he do? the Bible say that Jesus did he wept isn't it funny how Jesus could share in their grief even though he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead See, we don't don't have a God who is emotionally absent or detached from your pain. He himself comes down to where you are. And Jesus, the one whom shows us what the Father is like, he weeps with you. He cries with you. He's moved to tears with you. And he's there. I'm closing. There was a mother who once called into a radio station. She was calling in to talk during a program that had Something to do with unique medical conditions. She called up and she said, "I, I have a young daughter who has SEPA. It's congenital insensitivity to pain with anhedrosis. It means that you're unable to feel pain. Now, you can imagine with a young child how that could cause countless problems. That if she was to run outside barefoot and step on a nail and didn't know it because she couldn't feel the pain, it could get infected and get into her bloodstream and cause all sorts of issues. If she was to lay her hand on the top of a hot stove, she wouldn't feel it. It could experience very, very severe burns. And so the mother, as she's talking on this program, she says, there's, there's one prayer that I pray every night for my daughter. And she says, please, God, help my daughter to feel pain. Because pain sends an alert to our brain that something's wrong. And all she wanted was for her daughter to be in a position where she could recognize that something was wrong and ask for help. Hear me today. Sometimes you may not know why you're going through what you're going through. But pain should be a sensor in your mind, people of God. That allows you to recognize that something is wrong and that you need help. And that there is a God who sent his son to die to restore the familial relationship between us and him so that you would have access to approach the throne of grace with boldness. To receive mercy in your time of need. God sees what you're wrestling through. And he hears your questions. But he's inviting you to come to him. He's inviting you to not stay away and just assume things about him. But bring your objections to him, your questions to him, and deal with them face to face. And I promise you he'll show you a God that can meet every single need that you have. And that's why I have prayer for us this morning, is that our pain wouldn't allow us to deconstruct things about God and the faith that leave us absent. Of the peace, the comfort, and the knowledge that he freely offers. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Father, I thank you, God, that you are sovereign, that you have complete rule and authority. Over everything that's been created. And I thank you that you're a God that's also imminent, which means that you come close so that we can know you. A lot of our deconstruction, oh God, in our pain comes from not knowing you well. And so God, I I pray, we pray that for those who are among us that are struggling and wrestling with believing you and trusting your goodness, that they would experience the space among God's people to wrestle. But that they would always and also be challenged to make sure that what they believe about you doesn't come from how they feel, but what you've revealed about yourself. Help us to press in to you, O God. Because your word says that in your presence, in your presence, In your presence is the fullness of joy. We thank you, O God, because you are good, you are good, and your mercy. Your steadfast love. Your covenant faithfulness. Goes with us from generation to generation. If you are here today. And you feel like. The pain of what you've gone through. separated you from God and his people if you're here today and there's something you're still wrestling with that you're still angry at God about if you're here and you're wrestling and you're, you're here and you're trying to press in but you're still hurting we want to pray for you this morning Is there anybody here still wrestling with God, wrestling with trusting him, wrestling with believing that he's good, wrestling that all things, wrestling with the the belief that all things work together for you? Is there anybody among us that's wrestling? Amen. Maybe you're here. And you're like Lazarus. You might be physically alive, but spiritually you're dead. And you have never known Jesus in the pardon of your sins. But today you want to make the decision to be raised to new life. If you want to trust Jesus Christ today for salvation and put your confidence fully in him would you raise your hand so we can see who you are I see that hand thank you for all oldest brother I see that hand I see that hand could you just keep it up for me so we can know to come touch base with you is there anyone else that would like to put their confidence and their faith their trust fully in our God who saves maybe that's you at home can you let us know in the chat put something in the chat we would love to touch base with you we would love to reach out to you we would love to know that you've gone from death to life we would love to be able to worship our father who's in heaven because you've gone from death to life is there anyone today amen
2: I want to make sure that those of you who understood what he was asking, if you're going through something right now where you are, um, your suffering and your pain, present or past, is causing you confusion about your faith. Every head by every eye closed. Stand to your feet so we can pray for you. There you are. There you are. Anybody else? There you are. There you are. Anybody else? There you are. 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 Anybody else? I see you up there. I see y'all up there. Yeah. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Nothing to be embarrassed about. God isn't a God of confusion. He's a God of clarity and he wants you to be clear. Anybody else that's gone through something or going through something, you wonder where God was And it's kind of thrown you off a bit. I see y'all two standing up. Thank y'all for jumping up. I know there are more. I sensed it. Yeah. Anybody else? Anyone else? I believe there's a few more. You don't. I see you, brother. I believe there's a few more. Thank you. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Thank you for popping up. Who else? Well, you've seen some dark seasons and you've been confused about God's goodness.
3: want to just going to pray for us Uh, in the confusing season that you may find yourself in my encouragement is to press into the one who has the answer for your confusion one who provides peace In the midst of your chaos. There are many of us who are witnesses of God being gracious, being a comforter to those. God answered a prayer for me, but I'd be lying if I didn't think about all the ones that did not make it. So here's my prayer for you today. Father, we thank you. And we praise you. That, I said it earlier, but that we have a God who wants something to do with us. Who actually loves us. Us broken people. Us who actually at times want nothing to do with you. You still love us. I even remember you know, Pastor Mason even telling, uh, re- preaching from the text that says, Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And, and, and here's the promise that you give us you'll give us rest. <laughs> and so, for the one standing now, for the one who did not stand and, and is wrestling with this, I pray that they would run to you that even if the answer is not given in that moment, that they would still run to you and they would wrestle with you as the God who still cares, even in the midst of confusion. Lord, whether it's sickness, we know you can heal it, but help us to see it through your eyes. Give us patience for you to actually do the work on our own personal lives before you turn things around. Lord, help us and give us the faith the size of a mustard seed. Mustard seed is not great. It's not grand. It's not this large amount. But just give us enough to actually believe that you are still good. Because that's who you say you are. Help us experience you in a new and in a fresh way. Father, we rest on you. And on the work that you are doing even now. You're doing the work now. And so we know that you're doing the work. And so I pray now, Lord, that you would soften the heart. That has put up their, their, their gate and, 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 and locked the door to their hearts. I pray that you would begin to work now. Father. We cannot make it without you. And for honest life, there is no life apart from you. And so now, Lord, I pray that we would see that. We will honor you in everything we would do. But I pray that we will press into you as the God who is still in control of everything. Be with us, we pray. It's in Jesus' precious name, and every glad heart said, amen. This is an opportunity where we look back at our Savior asking the question to our Father. He says, if this cup could pass, please let it pass. But his response is, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. There could be another way, he said, let it be so. But he looks at it and he says, I need to give my very life so that the broken and the hurt would have life and life more abundantly. On the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Let us take and eat. Same way, he took the cup, said, This is the new cup in it. And one day, he's going to have another drink with all of us who have put our faith and confidence in him. This is the new covenant in my blood. So often that you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let us drink together. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that we have a great comforter in all things, in any affliction. Lord, I pray that the one wrestling with their faith because of their pain would know that you are still at work and that you are still willing to move on the heart, the mind, and even the situation. Lord, I pray that we would rest in you, that we would press into you for all things. Receive now this benediction. Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For just as the suffering of Christ overflows to us, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. And every glad heart said, Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.
2: Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you wanna help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond,